0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we do want to lay everything at the feet of Jesus... We do want to pour out our hearts in praise to you only. We want to do that through your word now by the power of your spirit. So help me speak what you want me to speak. Help my brothers and sisters hear and be changed by the power of your spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've seen uh, this theme in Acts these first few weeks already of lives radically oriented around King Jesus, and we're going to keep seeing it. So he's going to keep his foot on the throttle, and he's going to keep pressing us towards radical obedience to Jesus. And and the great thing about this at Bethlehem is this really isn't new at Bethlehem. We've never been... uh, kind of vanilla, passive, for at least as long as I've been here. It, it's, we say it's why we exist. It's to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in, in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. That's a big statement, and it's what we're about here, and it's what the book of Acts is about. We love to say that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I love to say that. I hope you love to say that if you're here. And yet the question always before us, day by day, is does Jesus reign in our hearts that way? Is that really true? Are we really most satisfied in Him? So what I, what I try to do week after week is this, is hold up the mirror of your own heart so you can see what's in there, so we can just deal with it. So let me ask you a question. In light of our mission statement, in light of what we love to say, Let me ask you this. Do you really want that most in life? Or to say it another way, what do you want most in life? Not just conceptually, but moment by moment, practically. What drives how you live? What drives how you spend your your time and your energy and even your money? Now before, you just answer me with Jesus, which is the right answer. Let me ask you a question I think helps us get to the bottom of our hearts. So when I say, what do you want most, let me ask you another question I think helps you get there and diagnose your own heart. Let me ask first, what do you fear most? What do you fear most? What are you afraid of right now? I ask what you fear most because where you find fear, you've probably found something that shows a deep desire of your heart that has begun to take up too much space. So what do you want most? want to figure out what that is? What do you fear most? For example, if I fear, feel this kind of low-grade anxiety about the wrong people getting in power, what is that revealing about what I most want? Or, if I fear losing my job, what does that reveal about what I most want? Or if I fear what you all think of me while I stand up here and preach what does that reveal about what I want most? Or if I fear suffering and hard times, what does that reveal about what I want most? Or if I'm living in fear about where my my marriage is at, or I live in this constant fear of the parenting mistakes that I've made, what does it reveal about what I most want? Or kids, if you fear what other kids think about you, What does that reveal about what you want most? And if you want to know, well, I don't don't know. I don't know what I fear. Let me help you with that question too. Think about what makes you most anxious or agitated. Think about where you spend most of your time thinking, like in those quiet moments, maybe on your commute, or maybe late at night or early in the morning, where does your mind wander to? And you'll often find your fears, and therefore, your wants. Our fears reveal our wants, and then we begin to serve these fears, even if not actively, just in our hearts. Right? If we can just get the right person elected, if we can just find security in finances or health, if people would just like my sermons. If we could just have our suffering go away or our marriages go better or our parenting be further along, that's when we could rest, right? You believe that sometimes, even if you don't want to admit it. Elections and jobs and good sermons and relief and marriage and parenting, they're all important. Here's the problem with those they cannot hold up your expectations of them because you are placing on them expectations that only God can carry. So they're really good things. They're just horrible gods that will never deliver on what you want them to. Now, I'm not here to shame you for being afraid. The things I listed above are important areas. They need our attention and our thought. But I just sometimes think we play games with ourselves and our own hearts. I think too often we don't deal with where our hearts are really at and the things we are really serving most and therefore we don't get the freedom of seeing it and confessing it and laying it down at the foot of Jesus so we walk forward in any kind of new freedom. We just obsess and then pretend like it's not there and then we obsess and then we numb it with Netflix and then we obsess and we get on social media and feed it. And then we obsess and just obsess and obsess and this is a low grade stress that's keeping us from fellowship with Jesus Christ. So as we think about what we want most, here's my prayer. Here's why I bring it up. I want this text to speak to us about what we need most. If we're to live lives radically oriented around King Jesus, lives radically oriented around His mission, His purposes, His desires, I want this text to speak to us about what we need most to fulfill the mission of lives radically oriented around our King that overflow Into witness of our King. And this text will challenge us with any kind of natural, self-sufficient ideas we have. So let's dive into point one, where we begin to see this manifestation of power. So let's just set the scene. Every week we'll kind of set the scene, because we're going on a journey with Luke. So they've been waiting. Like Jesus told them to, He had breathed the Holy Spirit onto them, and they've been devoting themselves to the Word and to worship and to prayer. And now the day of Pentecost comes. Pentecost was called that because it was a, day, it was a feast that was 50 days, Penta, after the Passover. And on that day, uh, what would happen is all these Jews gathered from every direction would come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate a feast of harvest. That's what they're celebrating. Here's a feast of harvest. We're going to celebrate the good harvest the Lord has given us. And what we're going to see is that this is symbolic. I hope you're already hearing it in harvest language. Jesus has promised to send them power by the person of the Holy Spirit, so they can be His witnesses. Why? So there'd be a harvest of worshipers to the ends of the earth. So during this harvest feast where all these Jews will come from all around the world that they knew, the Lord means to bring about a different kind of harvest by keeping His promise to send them power. So note the symbolism. That's what's happening. I think that's why the Lord chose this day. Practically speaking, this is the birth of the New Testament church. This moment is where the Lord Jesus will pour out His power from on high in the form of the Holy Spirit and mark this as the new covenant age of the Spirit where citizens of His kingdom will be ambassadors wherever they are. In other words, no more coming and seeing at the temple. I'm going to make all of you Spirit-filled temples to go wherever you are and make much of Jesus Christ. You're the new temple. No gathering here anymore like you must come here. It's you. You're filled with the Spirit. You're going to go walking, moving, breathing, living temples of God. And not only is there great symbolism in the harvest the Lord is about to bring about, but He wants to show us that He's reversing the curse. He wants to show us He's beginning to reverse the curse. What do I mean? Well, this is a great picture of a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Kids, I just read this to my little guy. Uh, it's one of the, the stories you always read about in the little kids' books, right? You remember the Tower of ba- the Babel. The people came together. They're building a tower that would make their name great because of how high it was. At the ironic part is it says that God has to come down to see it. He's like, nice work. I'm going to have to come down a little bit further to see your little tower. And what does God do? He sees their pride. He confuses their languages and He, he disperses them. You're not going to be together anymore. I'm going to confuse your language and call out your pride. Well, here in this moment, what is the Lord doing? He's reversing that, right? He's gathering His people, undoing the confusion of their languages so that there's a new people formed that will be humbled to repent of their pride and spend their lives dispersed and make much of Jesus. So he wants to see the symbolism. There's a harvest coming. I'm going to send my spirit. You're the new temple. And look it, I'm reversing the curse. I'm gathering you to fill you with the spirit. I'm going to undo the confusion of your languages and send you to make much of me instead of yourselves. He's marking this moment. So God means to harvest people through his spirit-empowered witnesses to reverse the curse of Babylon, bring about Humble repentance to unify a people passionate for his name. So let's read verses 1 to 4 where it describes what happens. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're all sitting together in one place, probably praying or worshiping. That's all we've seen them do since Jesus ascended. And they hear a sound like a mighty rushing wind that fills the whole house they're in. And this really happened. So just try to put yourself there. You're sitting there, prayer and worship, and suddenly, right, suddenly is the word, <laughs> a mighty rushing wind comes in. Then flames of fire rest over each of their heads individually. They're filled in a powerful way with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other languages by the power of the Spirit. Now we should just say up front, God doesn't have to use this kind of physical manifestation of His power didn't have to do it this way. But when he does, it gets our attention and we want to ask, what does this mean? If God means to reverse the curse of Babel and gather people during this harvest, why the wind and fire? What does that tell us about how he's going to gather this people? Well, I think the wind symbolizes the power and the freedom and the sovereignty of the person of the Holy Spirit. Listen to John Three. John 3 says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then listen to this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I was thinking, kids, this week of when I used to be your age, and one of the things I loved most was windy days, right? Windy days and rainy days and stuff like that because it was different. And I remember when it was so windy, I loved to go outside and just almost get knocked off my feet, right? Just feel it kind of catch me and push me. And as I did that, what did I, what did I love about it? I kind of love that I didn't have any control over this thing, right? It just came out of nowhere and was going to knock me off my feet. Which is the point of this symbolism. Can you control the wind? Can you make it stronger or weaker? No. No. And that's how it is with the Holy Spirit. That's the point. We can't manipulate Him. We can't conjure Him up to come. He is sovereign. He is God. The reason Jesus continues the work of God in the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is God. We not play with Him as if we can conjure Him or manipulate Him or make Him do our little projects. Now the Holy Spirit is always dwelling in believers to sanctify us, help us, reveal God's Word to us and encourage us. And yet once in a while, this sovereign, strong blowing of the Spirit comes upon a person or upon a people and we pray for it and fast for it and long for it, but let us not be mistaken. We cannot control Him with emotional worship songs or passionate preaching. I can't make Him do anything right now. He is always working to lift high the name of Jesus sovereignly through the Word and through prayer and we simply ask Him for more. What we see here is that Jesus will gather His people by His free and sovereign Spirit. It's one of the points we're seeing here. We see the wind. And then we see flames. There's all sorts of, let's be honest with you, all sorts of debate. Why flames? What's going on with flames? I think the clearest answer, there could be more, but the clearest answer is that flames throughout the Scriptures represent the holiness of God. This is the Holy Spirit. This holiness transforms and leads those who trust in Jesus. And this holiness brings judgment upon those who reject Jesus. But as these flames rest upon the head of these witnesses, it's symbolizing that they are representatives of the Holy King of Kings and Lord of Lords to proclaim His gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that this gospel leads some to repentance and will bring judgment on others. Our God is a consuming Fire. And His fire will either fall on the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf, like we see in the Old Testament, or it will fall on you if you don't trust in Jesus. And then it says, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. These symbols rush in as a physical manifestation of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The sovereign, free, holy, and pure Holy Spirit has come to empower and lead these witnesses of Jesus Christ. And as he fills them, they are empowered to speak in different languages. We ought not miss it. This is a fulfillment of what Luke has already wrote about in Luke 3.16 where John the Baptist says, listen I baptize you with water but there's one mightier than I whom who's coming. Not even worthy to untie his sandals and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And it's happening. Now before we move on to the amazing witness that comes from this, because this is all really a setup, right? Until what actually happens. We just get to kind of experience what they experience with them. I just want us to stop and ponder the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Not underestimate it. Not move past it. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit is the greatest need of the hour in the American church. We don't need more political power to accomplish our mission. None. Any to accomplish our mission. We need more of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you think that these can stop the power of the Holy Spirit? Like when you come here (laughs) and you're worried about having to worry these and what these will do, do you think that these can stop the, the power of the Holy Spirit? What's it going to do? Do you think social unrest can stop the sovereign spirit? Do you think a pandemic can stop the sovereign Holy Spirit? Do you think the ultimate way we'll see the transformation and revival we long for coming through the right political strategies? Yes, this was a moment in history that we see marking the new covenant age of the Holy Spirit. But we see throughout the book of Acts after this and throughout the New Testament that we ought to long for fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit, fresh blowings of the Holy Spirit over the blood-bought people of God to empower us to endure suffering, to love each other, to love our enemies and to witness to our neighborhoods and the nations. In fact, that's why we come together every Sunday. So we pray for every Sunday that we'd be filled with the Spirit. Let me read you Ephesians 5, 17-20. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Does your heart... More than anything else, long for the power and presence and purity of the Holy Spirit to fill us and overwhelm us and blow over us like a mighty rushing wind. Now I get in Acts, there's all the conversations, this descriptive or prescriptive, and all I'm going to say is I would love to see us pray and worship and seek enough that we even know if we can get close to it. Before we try to make those categories work, let's just go after it together. Let's make the first priority together. Let's him blow up our categories. Point number two, the miracle that actually happens, the miracle of proclamation in verses 5 to 11. Read these verses with me. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered. That's probably an understatement, right? I love the Bible sometimes. (laughs) That's confusing. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia? And he goes on and lists all of these, right? And then he says, We hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. So what I want you to see from these verses is three things. Notice the messengers. Notice those receiving the message. And then notice the message. All of those matter. So first, the messengers. The the people here come together. And as they hear the miracles of these men filled with the Spirit speaking in their own language, they say, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, most commentators, and I agree, think that this has several layers of meaning. First, how do they know our native languages? They are not from where we are from. How would they know this? And second, Galileans were not exactly the educated linguistic type of people. They were kind of seen as, as the, the rough ones out there. Even their own language is a little bit goofy and wonky and messed up. We can't even understand what they say when they talk in their own language. Yet here they are, perfectly speaking a bunch of different languages. So let me ask you a question: Do you feel inadequate to deliver the gospel message to your neighbors or to the nations? No one was more unlikely than the Galileans. God always uses the foolish and the weak, so it's clear that the wisdom and power belongs to Him. These uneducated messengers should encourage you that it's not about you. It's about the sovereign spirit who indwells you and fills you for this miracle. I love later in Acts, we'll get to this scene, and they're going like, these guys are fishermen. But man, it's clear they've been with Jesus. Something's different about them. They've been with Jesus. Second, notice those receiving the message. This list might not mean a lot to you, but if you were to look at a map, put a map up here, you would see that the people are coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west from near and far to hear this message. That means... God is already keeping His promise from chapter 1 that by the power of the Spirit, the reign of King Jesus will begin to spread out near and far. In other words, God has brought all these people near to be harvested so that then He will send them back to where they are to continue His work. That's what's happening here. He's already keeping the promise. And God has placed your neighbors around you. He intends to pour His Spirit upon you, wherever you are, in your neighborhood, your school, your co-op, your coffee shop, your soccer team, your workplace, or your family get-together during the holidays to make much of Jesus. He determines, right, He determines the boundaries so that people might feel their way to God. He brought them here to hear this message, to spread them out. Wherever you are, you're there for this message to then have it spread out. And finest notice, finally notice the message. It just says they're telling the mighty works of God. This is what Jesus said would happen in John 16. He said, the Spirit will come and glorify me. This is what happened. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, when the Spirit came upon people, they testified to the mighty works of God. This is what happens when the Spirit comes upon a people. He drenches us in the power and presence of the holiness of God and we are caught up afresh in worship of all that He's done in creation and redemption through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to make much of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to refine us, to lay down our sin, run out of our shame and walk in freedom and witness and power in the name of our King. I mean, this is the Holy Spirit. This is God. Trying to figure out a, an analogy for what this is like when the fullness of God comes upon a sinful person. Right? It's got to be like a bull in a china shop. Right? That china shop is never the same again. <laughs> All sorts of stuff is going to get ruined and tossed around by the sheer power If the Holy Spirit is not messing stuff up in your life a little bit, your idols and your pride and your sin and your shame, ask Him to. Mess it up. Fill me. Equip me. Take me where I don't want to go. Lead me where I'm too afraid to go. We will see radical obedience Impurity and love produced by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts out of a group of guys that was afraid and hiding not very long ago. A whole Christian inflamed by the Holy Spirit cannot live a divided life of passionate proclamation separated from passionate following of Jesus in the moment by moment of life. Kids, I am so glad we're going through the book of Acts for you. So if you're a kid now, listen to me. Right now, however old you are, 5 or 7 or 12 or 14 or 18, right now is the moment where you decide, I'm all in for Jesus. I will never be obsessed with anything else. I will never be distracted by anything else. I'm going to go wherever He takes me. I want the Holy Spirit to fill me. I'm going to go to my neighbors. I'm going to go to the nations. I'm all in for Jesus. Decide now. Let him mess stuff up now because there's going to be more to mess up if you wait 20 years. Let him mess you up now so you can follow him all in. I'm just going to give you a quick example of this, of what I think happens with this without revealing any identities. There is this uh, woman among us who is, is precious to me and uh, she's been precious to me since soon after we got here. She loves the Lord. She's an encourager to me. And two years ago when I got here, she was already awesome. So I think as I tell the story, you won't be able to tell the difference because she's always looked awesome because she is awesome. But over the last few months, as I talk to her and I, I, I engage with her and there's questions and there's conversations back and forth, just recently she said something to me like, what the Lord is doing in me is overwhelming in how much of me he is giving me. He's doing this fresh work in me. He's he's overwhelming me. I don't know what to do with the new opportunities to share the gospel I have. I don't know what to do with the new fellowship I have with him. I don't know what to do with any of it. It's almost too much. Man, that's how I want you to be overwhelmed. So badly. That's where I I want you to be overwhelmed. Like the Lord is doing so much. I I don't even have enough time to do all that He's trying to do in me. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in fresh fillings of His power. So sometimes when we read Acts, we think, where do I got to go? What do I got to do? And what I would say to you is just, wherever you are right now is where God has you. Plead with Him for power. We, we have access in this new covenant age. Point number three, the mocking and the pondering. Listen to verses 12 to 13. Read it with me. It says, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. So here we see two reactions. One group of people is amazed and overwhelmed and wants to know what it means, right? Something big is happening, and they need to understand this miracle. Others simply mock them and say, well, you've just had a bit too much to drink. So Peter's going to stand up. Chris is going to preach this next week. He's going to stand up later. He's going to say, it's a little too early in the day for that. But I want you to notice these reactions because we'll see it over and over and over in Acts, and we'll see it over and over again today as we live this out. In every story in Acts, we will see a theme of rejection. So, man, you get excited about the book of Acts like the Spirit's moving, miracles are happening, people are coming to know Jesus. That's so true, it's so good. There's also a theme of rejection that runs through the entire book of Acts. I don't want to oversell and get you disappointed. Do you feel surprised at the rejection of the culture right now? Has it caught you off guard? Does it scare you a little bit? This is the theme of the church since its birth. We treasure Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. Some, by a miracle of his grace, come and worship our King with us. And others reject us and reject him as they reject us. This is what happens because, remember, it's the sovereign spirit who does the work. We preach, we proclaim, we treasure him, we're all in, we plead with power, we say how great he is, and then we leave it into the hands of the Sovereign Spirit. 1 Corinthians says that the world will often think we are weak and foolish for having lives radically oriented around Jesus. Just to set up your expectations, I want you to get comfortable with feeling weak and foolish to the world and boldly proclaim your strong and mighty Savior. Kids, it is hard to live for Jesus in a world that might think you're silly. Kids, you see I'm talking to you like You're part of this church. (laughs) I want you all in with us. We're not going to leave you behind. It's hard to live for Jesus in a world that might think you're silly. You can trust God with that. He is worth it. Your job is to pray for the help of the Spirit, to love Jesus and obey Him, and then you can trust Him even if you're made fun of. Christians all throughout the history books have been made fun of, but here's the glory, kids. We are going to be with Jesus forever. This light, momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the glory that is coming. All right, so here's the application. What we need most. We talked at the beginning, but honestly examining our hearts for what we want most. But a better question all the time is what do we need most? Right? If you're a parent, you say that 100 times a day, I want this. Well, what do you need, right? What, what do you really need? And isn't the answer, I mean, when could, we give a, when could we give a different answer that we need more of the power and presence of God? Isn't that what we need in our suffering? Isn't that what we need right now to love one another? Isn't that what we need for us to be more holy Isn't that what we need for us to be a witness to our neighbors and the nations, even if the culture doesn't think Jesus makes much sense? Don't we need this more than we need the mask mandate to be lifted? I didn't think I'd get any amens, but you could (laughs) have. Don't we need this more than the right person in office? I mean, do you believe that, though? That we need more of the power and presence of the King of Kings? and Lord of lords, and we need the right person in office. I'm not mocking you or shaming you for whoever you voted for, but I'm asking, do you believe this? Don't we need this more than anything else for the good of our souls and our families and our church and our nation? Isn't this what we need? So let me tell you a story from the Old Testament that has struck so deeply with me as I study this week. In Exodus 33, Israel has just made the golden calf in the wilderness. And the Lord is talking with him in Exodus 33. And he tells him, you know what, you go onto the promised land. I'll even provide you some security escort, an angel. But I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go with you. And I love the reaction of Moses. He won't relent. He says, no, no. We're not going anywhere without your presence. Your presence is what makes us who we are. We're not a people without you. We're nothing without you. We're going nowhere without you. We are who we are because our God is our God. What Moses feared more than not making it to the promised land was losing the presence of God. Because he knew what he needed most was the presence of God. We have seen today in this text that God has poured out his presence and power on us by the Holy Spirit. And my question for you is, do you want his presence more than anything? If you could undo this mask mandate, or if you could guarantee the election outcome or if you could make COVID end and social unrest go away, if you could make the hardest thing in your life go away, your marriage better, your parenting better, your finances more stable, your suffering gone, would you want that more than God's presence? Would you? Practically, day to day, not in this moment where I've gotten you all fired up, but day-to-day, moment-by-moment, it moment, sounds really good right now. Day-to-day, moment-by-moment, moment, would you want His presence more? Or would you go to whatever your little promised land in this moment looks like without His presence? Right? What if He sent an angel to protect you? It's all going to go good. I'll, I will get you there. It will be fine. You just don't get as much of me. And what if, what if you're missing the presence of God because you're so distracted with things that cannot change His power or His reign? Like right now, what if you're missing it? What if you're missing the presence of God as you try to figure out a bunch of third-tier issues when He's made your primary calling so abundantly clear? Like the main things in the Bible are really clear. Who we are, what we're called to. What if we miss the presence of God because we pour our emotions and our time and our energy out on things we simply will not see the the church in Acts concerned with at all? And what if this moment is actually meant for all of us to have a reorientation of what we thought we needed most in our homes, in this nation, in our church? We had all these things we thought we needed and wanted most. We never would have said them out loud, but it's how we operated, it's what we feared, it's what we wanted, and now he is calling us to refocus us to be a people of worship and prayer and fasting in the word and love for one another and the lost, a people consumed with his presence. And perhaps if we would hear him, if we would obey Him, if we listen to Him in this moment, perhaps He would send His power and presence for a great harvest of people united to bring glory to His name. Maybe He would do that again. He's sovereign. He used to choose. I don't. But if He does it, amazingly, He'll do it through a people devoted to His presence. Want His presence more than anything else. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to, uh, I'm going to let you go to the Lord in prayer right now. I'm not going to do a closing prayer. I just want you to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him, Lord, is this what I want most? Your presence, your blessing, your power upon me. And and lay, uh, the song we sang before, I don't know about you, but I had to lay some things down. And here we get to go again. We get to meet in fellowship with Jesus Christ, lay down all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our idols at the foot of the cross. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do work with the Lord, and I'll come back up then, and I will lead us into the Lord's table together. So take a couple of minutes and pray, and I'll be back up in just a bit. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others.